You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, now, as a professional naturalist, uh, I have a park that I am based out of, and our mm -hmm. Natural Resource Management Division has been busy for the last 50 years establishing prairies in our parks because this parkland is mostly like old farm fields that are slowly being turned into rich prairies with high species diversity of plants, which then oh, in turn so leads to a diversity of insects, which then leads to a diversity of birds and mammals. So a healthy prairie is kind of the key to a lot of it, and uh, it and uh, a, reptiles, too, actually. Reptiles, too. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it makes it for a pretty amazing place. Um, we also have lots of wetlands and woods and stuff, too. The park I work in is not mm -hmm. exclusively prairie. Uh, but they're in the process of putting in even more prairie right now, turning some old fallow fields into prairie at my park, which is going to raise our total acreage to over 300 acres at my location. Nice. Which is really? not Really? That's awesome. I mean, that's great. It's not a ton compared to like no. you know, what there used to be, but it's, it's not bad. Um, incidentally, it's going to start to look like a prairie within a few years, but I was talking to the biologists, and from their point of view, it, they won't really consider these new prairie areas to be an established prairie for another 50 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So Whoa, it, okay. it is a long process. The public will see it and go, oh, it's so pretty. Look at the grasses and the flowers. And but it, it Look at that beautiful prairie. Yeah, 50 years to really get uh, going and established. Now, our park is already 50 years old. So by the time mm -hmm. we're 100 years old, our prairies will be doing pretty well. It's pretty amazing to think about like that long time scale some of these uh, managers I are mean, working on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll all be there at the reunion, so. Right. I sure hope so. <laughs> I'll be a very old man, <laughs> but I, I could do it. Oh, um, in the same. meantime, uh, it's going to be a lot of work to maintain them because they're surrounded by trees and trees spread their seeds, right? So if we were to just mm -hmm. walk away from our prairies, they would pretty quickly disappear into forest. And traditionally, Minnesota is a really interesting place because we're right on the edge of a bunch of different bio biomes that all kind of intersect. And in this case, I work near the edge of the prairie biome and the big woods biome. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my work is technically probably more in the big woods than in the prairie. Uh, and so the trees really waste no opportunity to remind us of that. And they're constantly trying to take the prairie back over. So uh, there's so little like original prairie left in the state, though, that it's critically important that we preserve and plant uh, species um, so we can preserve like the, the plant and animal species that are important to that, that habitat and that biome. So mm -hmm. one of the tools or probably kind of the main tool we use to keep that biome in uh, grass and, and forbs instead of trees is the same one that nature and humans have used for thousands of years to manage prairie and that is Fire! fire. Yeah, we use fire. Uh, those are really fun days to be at work. Uh, <laughs> yes. Most oh, they're so fun. Yeah, most of the biomass People get of prairies, so worried. <laughs> we get so many phone calls, yeah. Um, most <laughs> of the biomass of prairies is underground, 
in the roots. Uh, the roots of some species can go down 15 feet or more. And what's above ground just dies off every winter. But this mm-hmm. is very different than trees who are the mm-hmm. majority of their biomass above ground. And it has to mm-hmm. survive year after year. So when fire comes through, it kills off the woody species and it leaves the prairie species of the grasses and forbs unharmed. It also returns nutrients to the soil via ashes. And we have to burn our prairies about every three years in order to Mm -hmm. stop them from turning into forest. If it goes a little longer, it's fine. But three years is kind of the optimum cycle that we want to be on. So traditionally, fires uh, were started by lightning, but also by humans. Uh, There's a long, long tradition of humans setting uh, the prairies on fire. The Dakota, who were the first people here, uh, they would traditionally set fire to prairies uh, at the interface between the big woods and the prairie as a way of managing the productive grasslands and attracting animals like bison, uh, you know, further Mm -hmm. and further east. So basically there's a very long relationship between humans, grasslands, and fire. And that's not what I want to talk about today, though. Uh, You would think the ability to use fire to manage the landscape would be a uniquely human trait. Indeed, using fire as a tool is one of the things that has been used to distinguish humans from other animals in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Inter? Where are you Yeah, going? I'm wondering where yeah. you're going with this. <laughs> are you talking about fire salamanders? A question no, I get from no, children. Enter no. the firehawk. The firehawk? The what? This sounds the fire like hawk. a legend. This sounds... This well, sounds like a phoenix. <clears throat> Can you hear my, my flamingo episode? Yeah, well, well what we're going to get there. Um, now, now for this, we're going to travel down under to, you guessed it, Australia. Australia. That's right. The land that keeps on giving. Um, just like <laughs> here at home, uh, you know, where what I mentioned that the Dakota have traditionally used fire to manage prairies and attract bison. So, too, in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, the ab- aboriginal first humans to reside there also have a history of actively managing grasslands with fire, often to attract kangaroos mm-hmm. for hunting. Interesting kind of parallel there. Um, as such... <laughs> Uh, they have a very deep um, indigenous ecological knowledge of fire and the land. And they are, there are stories of what they call firehawks um, that play a role in um, a lot of the traditional stories, um, but also just in some of the traditional knowledge. And they talk about um, hawks who would come in and basically sometimes even steal um, branches from campfires so they could fly away with them and drop them into grasslands to set them ablaze. Uh, and huh. this, this, these stories have been out there for a really long time. Uh, you know, the idea is that as wildfire spreads, it drives small mammals away at the fire front. And birds mm-hmm. have learned that a fire front is a great place to hunt. And actually, you know, scientists and people high around risk, the world. High reward. What's that? High risk, high, revo- high reward. Uh, not really high risk for the birds. I mean, you know, they're flying above the fire. They're, they, they can stay su- safe there. And they're just watching that area in front of it. A lot of, a lot of grassland okay. fires can often move fairly slowly. Um, so it's not like they're going 20 miles an hour and you got to run away from them. These are, some of these are just these slow burning, you know, bushfires that are coming through. Um, and scientists and, and other people around the world have actually observed raptors specifically hunting at fire fronts. Uh, this is a thing that happens uh, really around the world. 
Now, intentionally setting a fire alarm, <coughs> that's really something else, right? Yeah. So I mentioned yeah. this, this has been traditional knowledge for, you know, countless generations going back. But like as has happened so many times in the past, when scientists heard these stories, they went, yeah, nah, that, that doesn't happen. It, right. That's not a thing. You know, those yes, are, let's just ignore those are all just of that stories. indigenous knowledge who, of people who have been there for thousands of Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so these were either uh, dismissed as mere story or they were chalked up to um, accidental thing, um, which I could see, you know, like basically uh, we know of it that raptors do hunt at the fire front. So it could be that mm-hmm. they go down to, to catch something. They accidentally get a branch instead of a snake or something. They take off. And they, and they go, oh, no, this is the branch. And, oh, gosh, it's on fire. And they drop it. And people saw that happening and go, oh, they, you know, they, someone saw that happen. And that was not an intentional thing the birds were doing, right? Um, pretty I don't dismiss- know. Pretty dismissive of people who lived there for, like, 30,000 years or whatever, you know, <laughs> who, have, who yeah. have this knowledge of what's going on. Um, so there was a team of researchers who really wanted to try to, to study this. Um, and they were curious and, and wanted to actually dig into these stories. And they worked on both the anthropological uh, side and the ornithological front and talked to people who live and work in Austra- Australia's grasslands. Um, so they talked to ranchers, firefighters, land managers, many of whom actually were also happened to be, um, you know, Aboriginal uh, people living there. And... Mm-hmm. They conducted these interviews trying to learn more about this phenomenon and make sure it wasn't just some sort of embellished story. Like science is big on documentation. Okay. So they wanted right. to talk to people who had witnessed these firsthand and see like what could they find. Uh, well, they published their findings in 2017 in the Journal of Ethnobiology. And what they discovered is that there simply is no such thing as a firehawk. Hmm. In fact, there are three of them. <laughs> <gasps> oh, you buried the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I was obviously didn't switch. Uh, so they were able to demonstrate that the behavior of purposely spreading fires for the purpose of hunting was an observed and repeated behavior of the three Whoa, most wow. common raptor species in the savanna grasslands of northern Australia. Now, to be kind of a nerdy Crazy. pedant, um, technically none of them are hawks, but... people get kind of fast and and loose with that term hawk um two of Mm -hmm. them are kites Mm -hmm. and one of them is a falcon okay evidence of this practice of the Mm -hmm. black kite the whistling kite and the brown falcon so three kinds of raptors uh and i'm sure this is an area of study that will receive more research in the future um they did point out that it's a fairly rare behavior although i will say one of the researchers themselves actually observed these raptors doing this behavior. Awesome. So That's like, so well, cool. There you go. I saw it myself. <laughs> and they got a lot of really good, um, like, firsthand knowledge of people. And they kind of had to sort them by how reliable they thought the person was in the reporting. And was it firsthand or secondhand mm-hmm. or whatnot? Um, and get actual good data on what exactly did you see and how do we classify that? It's like, was the bird repeatedly picking up sticks uh, and, and seemingly intentionally drop it somewhere? Or was it just sort of a random thing? And they really found that mm-hmm. it, it seems like this is something not that goes on every day, um, in, but 
something the Raptors in this area have definitely uh, learned to do. And they will seemingly purposely set fires. And it's enough that it's actually a problem mm. for land managers who are trying to put out fires. Right. And they think they have it out. And then they're yeah. like, all right, we're done. And look over and they're like, where did that fire come from right there? Um, they even what happened? actually yeah. witnessed a fire get to a creek and kind of stopped because it had a creek. And some raptors came down and picked up sticks and flew them across the creek and restarted the fire <laughs> on the other side of the creek to keep it going because the creek had stopped the fire. So pretty mm-hmm. amazing. It seems like sort of an Yeah, oppor- that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's kind of an opportunistic behavior uh, that is seen from time to time, at least, by humans who spend a lot of time around these species and fire. So um, super cool. That's raptors amazing. starting fires and helping to shape and manage the landscape. Uh, I just cool. love that. Love the story. Nature truly is stranger than we imagine. Uh, my sources oh, uh, were the journal article. It's called Intentional Fire Spreading by Firehawk Raptors in Northern Australia. It was in the Journal of Ethnobotany um, and also an article uh, in Nature. And incidentally, the journal article is open access. So everyone can read it for free, which is how Yay! it should be. So awesome. Thank you, scientists. Make science accessible. Woo. So um, after that hot topic, we are going to uh, take a little break. And when we come back, it will be Rachel. In the spirit of horrifying and spoofy things this month, um, let's take a walk or a hike in the potentially snowy boreal woods of Canada, maybe really, really northern Minnesota, Alaska, or if you'd like to get away from the States slash Canada, um, we could go to the Nordic countries, uh, like Norway, Sweden, or Finland, mm-hmm. or These even maybe northern great. Russia or in Siberia, which sounds less great. Um and as we're walking, uh, we hear a snarl in the woods, like. <laughs> oh my. Uh, can you do that again? Uh, that sounds scary. Now that's probably terrible. Yeah. No, that's probably terrible. But um, huh. it should sound scary. Uh, the noise obviously makes us pause in our hike. Uh, what do you think that might be uh, that's making the noise? Is it a wolverine? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> what a guess. Wow. <laughs> uh, the largest member of the Mustelidae, also known as the Glutton, even in its scientific name, Gulo Gulo. Gulo Gulo. Victoria, we, you win a prize. <laughs> Yay. Oh, you know, there's actually two kinds of Wolverine. There's oh. one that is found in uh, Europe, and which is Gulo Gulo Gulo. <laughs> And then there's <laughs> one in North America, which is Gulo Gulo uh, Lucius, I believe. I did not I know. I think I pronounced that correct. Subspecies. I really want a that European really sub subspecies <laughs> called Gulo 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 Gulo. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, so the Wolverine is kind of known for being ferocious. So I thought, hey, why not talk about Wolverines for, you know, a horror-like month? Um but I'm going to describe it just a little bit for everyone at home, just in case you have never seen a Wolverine, which, okay. It's played by Hugh Jackman um, as claws. Oh, right, that, that one. Oh, wait, really cut is that what we're not talking about? Not that one. Not, not that Wolverine. No, not oh, that one. Not the okay. X-Men. No. 
Um, so if you've ever seen a weasel or an otter, um, it has a similar body plan. So the family uh, Mustelidae is actually the weasel family. Um, so it's uh, the wolverine is the largest of all of the weasels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a similar body plan to that of a weasel. It has a similar kind of head shape. It's just much bigger. Um, it's generally pretty low to the the ground, and it has like a a wide head um, that's kind of flat on the top, but uh, has little round ears and really mm-hmm. small eyes. Um, it has some pretty like dark brown fur that sometimes has has these stripes, and oftentimes they have like a little white spot on their um, their chest. Um, They're cute. It's got some, they're pretty, they're kind of cute looking, yeah. Um, in a ferocious It's got way. some, in a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's got some really strong limbs that actually allow it to climb really effectively. Like, it's a good tree climber, which I don't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, and its claws, like, actually, because oftentimes it lives in the snowy tundra uh, and the subarctic, they can work like crampons, which crampons are the metal parts on the bottom of snowshoes. Yeah. I also just love saying the word crampon. So yeah. it's fun that I could say it. Um, so they work like that on snow and ice. Their claws are somewhat retractable, actually, oh. which is crazy. Um, they can be anywhere from 33 to 44 inches from head to tail, uh, which is less than a Rachel. So awesome and they can stand about <laughs> one and a half feet tall <laughs> um they're pretty amazing creatures and they're really adapted to survive the winter in some really really harsh areas uh one of those uh adaptations that they have is their fur they have a double layer uh coat um that allows them to uh, keep warm and allows it to be a little bit looser. They have a pretty decent um, layer of fat on their body. Uh, so by having a little looser skin and by allowing uh, them having this double layer coat, it allows them if uh, a predator like a wolf or a bear were to, sure. or even a cougar were to uh, attack a wolverine, which they are known to do, um, it would give the Wolverine a fighting chance that they would be able to like rear around and like actually bite and try to attack the, that, um, mm-hmm. the predator. That makes perfect sense. I think like if, mm-hmm. if Hugh Jackman were to go into a bar, cougars would be like <laughs> just jumping on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that would prove yes. very useful. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, their double layer coat and the fact they are weasels, so they have some pretty significant like musks and oils that they have. It actually is very hydrophobic, uh, so it prevents oh, sure. frost from forming on the coat and also helps them be really effective swimmers or they're great huh. swimmers. I remember I also don't like that tidbit <laughs> about frost not forming on their coats. I forget what book mm-hmm. or maybe several books I read this in, probably it was like of the cave bear or something um but like if you make a if you make a a hood mm-hmm. a hood fringe out of like wolverine fur it's yeah. not gonna collect frost when you breathe on it yep that's actually one of the reasons why their great. populations yeah. oh it's gonna smell terrible um 
but it's actually one of the reasons why uh, their population went down so much in the 19th century is because especially up in those areas, it made their, their fur made them very valuable for making coats and hats and things. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so besides their fur, uh, the other thing that is a really great adaptation for wolverines is their teeth. Okay. Um, the upper mm-hmm. molars of a wolverine are rotated 90 degrees. So like the biting surface of the molar, um, okay. which is like your way, way back, your grinding teeth, what you use for like plant materials and things like that. Instead right. of it being, so picture it being a little like a longer, like a more like a rectangular type. Uh, instead of it being like lengthwise, so the narrow end is in line with the rest of your teeth, this okay. one how they have it is the width. So the longer side is facing like toward like from cheek to the roof of their So mouth. it's like if swiveled around sense. kind of? Yeah, it's swiveled around 90 degrees. Okay. Oh, weird. That is really why, weird. Do we yeah. know why that's like that? No. <laughs> it's a characteristic of the family Mustelidae. Um... But it does allow them to be more effective in crushing bones and tearing frozen meat off of a oh, scavenger well, well, kill. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, can, which is it's crazy. They can, I suppose. Yeah, if you're living in a really frozen place like that, and then you have the ability to, like, gnaw on to... some frozen thing, mm-hmm. that's going to be useful to have something positional like that. That's bizarre. I, I, uh-huh. That's. I had no idea they were like that. They must have very strong yeah. jaw muscles. Yeah, if you're well, chewing on frozen stuff and bones. I mean, generally speaking, yeah, they do have a pretty dr- strong bite uh, force, uh, bite strength, rather. Um, a lot of people, when they think of wolverines, they think of them having like the strongest bite force, bite strength in the world, and they really don't. The, one, the animals that have the strongest bite force is actually like the animals who grind like fibrous plants mm. all day long they have the strongest bite strength um which if you really really think about it makes sense because they're working their jaw all day long yeah um but wolverine is still they still have a pretty strong bite uh it's been measured to be about 50 psi or pounds per square inch which is okay. not bad but n- not like not the as high strongest. as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You think well, it would be stronger. I wonder if having that different dentition helps, since they're, it's actually not that strong of a bite, helps with that mm-hmm. chewing. I actually just looked up to look for um, Maybe. A, pi- a picture to see what you were talking about, and I didn't realize that that 90-degree rotated molar is um, an identifying characteristic for all of mus- all the mm-hmm. mustards. Like that's, it's not just the weasels. That's really cool. Or not, sorry, yeah, not, it's just, not just not wolverines. Just it's all the weasels. All the weasels. Yeah. So, like otters, skunks, weasels, minks, skunks. Probably a lot badgers. more in a wolverine, though, because their skulls are so big. Right. Oh, absolutely. Compared to like a mink. Well, they're the largest. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, any naturalists out there, go ahead and check out your weasel family teeth. Yep. <laughs> they're I the know. upper molars. Run to the drawers. Yeah. Uh, Run to the drawers. Contact us on social media if, we, if you don't find it. Yeah. Um, so 
I mean, while they don't have the necessarily the strongest bite force, like wolverines are still very strong animals. Um, primarily, they like to be scavengers because that's easiest for them to be able to, you know, um, utilize. And, sure, and like sure. it's easier to find dead things and and it takes yeah. less frozen effort. things, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Um, but because uh, I talked about their fur earlier, they actually uh, in the winter time they do actually experience different coats in the summer and the winter. And sure. uh, in the winter, they get extra fur in between their, like, claws and such that allow mm-hmm. them to be on top of the snow, which actually has allowed them to take, they've been documented to take down lynx. Oh, They've wow. been documented oh, wow. to take down and eat caribou or another deer, which is much larger than them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I suppose if you're going after, again, going after the sick ones and stuff, right? They're going after the sick ones, the ones that are bogged in deep in snow and hard to like, because they can, because wolverines can cruise um, through snow, like they can power through and be more on top of the snow because they're spreading their body weight out more. Uh, whereas deer and other ungulates have a lot more, um, their weight is a lot more pinpointed directly on all of their foot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot harder for them to be able to walk through snow. Um, generally speaking, they'll eat whatever they can get. So this also includes things like porcupines. So wolverines are actually one of the only known animals <laughs> to eat porcupine. Impressive. Um, wow, okay. Uh, rabbit, <laughs> uh, fish, rabbits, fish, berries, eggs, birds, whatever they can find, they will eat. And they cool. will have actually been documented going as far as 18 miles in a day looking for food. Ooh, that's far. Um, Are there wolverines that is far. up by you? I haven't seen any. Well, <laughs> I think historically pretty. speaking, yes, okay. there have been. I think currently, no. Okay. Um, they really like a lot. It's extremely rare to see one in the state at yeah. all at this point. They perf- they are more found in Canada. The last one to be seen really in the contiguous 48 states, I think, was in Michigan. And that one was confirmed to be dead, I think, in either 2007 or 2014, yeah. one of the two. Um, Which isn't so, there, isn't there one of the states that has Wolverine as a nickname or some university? Yeah, it's a sports team that made it really fun when I was researching. Yeah. Which I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I searched Wolverine and I got the sports team right yeah. away. <laughs> um, so I was saying, like, they go as far as like eighteen miles in a day to go for looking for food. Um, these animals actually have huge home ranges. Like, uh, the females have a smaller home range, um, but it's still anywhere from one hundred and fifteen square miles to five hundred square miles. Oh. So males have a much larger range that overlaps with females, but females still have like at least a 200 mile or square mile range and they'll hang out in there square miles, that 500 is, and they traverse that, that whole that is, room. Holy yeah. cow. It gets a big yeah. range. They get moving. It's huge. They yeah. cruise and they're always looking for food. Um, they're pretty much known as being solitary animals. And again, that all, all, all really depends on like food availability. Um, if food is plentiful, then they will get along with other wolverines more or less fine. But if food is, you know, not plentiful, then they'll be more likely to attack um, mm-hmm. other wolverines. 
Um, as is with just about Makes any sense. like predator. Um, yeah, but wolverines. That's what I have for you all today. Very Crazy. cool. <laughs> that's, that's great. I love a wolverine. Yeah. Oh, they're so fun. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, it'll be Victoria. Hey, we're back. All right. I have our final segment this week. I was on the Nextdoor app the other day. Uh, <laughs> oh, I am so, so oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Why? I find it entertaining. Uh, <laughs> if you're not <laughs> okay. familiar, if any of our readers That's are... why I'm on Tumblr. <laughs> If you're not familiar with the app, it's a social media platform uh, that connects you to to other people in your neighborhood and nearby. And there are certain Mm -hmm. topics that are very frequent on Nextdoor, including lost and found pets, complaints Mm -hmm. about local road construction, stolen cars, of course, stolen packages, garage break-ins, mysterious people in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You never know where did they come from. And there's a category I'll call. What's that noise? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like my favorite category. Usually you it's... You forgot one, though. Oh, yeah, please. You forgot the category of people swearing that the coyote they saw was a wolf. <laughs> uh, Doesn't happen quite as much in the center of Minneapolis, but I'm sure out by you, yes. Um, oh, when I lived in St. Paul, I had wolves walking okay. down my alley. Right <laughs> There's, I there's mean, wolves in the city. Where, you just haven't seen them. Or coyotes. I mean. Well, I do know that. That's I mean, true. up where me, where I am, there I've heard I've heard wolf. Well, yes, you do actually have wolves up, up where yeah, you okay, are. Okay, Rachel. In that all fairness, you guys, Rachel literally lives in the boreal forest. So yes, there are <laughs> there are wolves walking around where you are. Yeah. Yep, found their your, scat. Your next fun. door would be very different than one in a city. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, but with, with what's, what's that noise? Uh, usually it's, was that gunshots or fireworks? Uh, of course, but sometimes it's also, what was that boom? (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. And usually the most likely answer has to do with local road or building construction. (laughs) But I was looking at, at a post like this the other day and somebody, uh, in the replies in the comments mentioned Seneca guns as a source of mysterious booms in other parts of the country. And I... Oh, what? Yeah. I was like, what? I've heard of I have that. never heard... I had never heard of this. Seneca guns. I remember... And so I had to look into this. Um, first off... I'm nervous. There are no guns. Of course. Yeah. Uh, first off, the Seneca... That would make too much sense, of course. Not. <laughs> the Seneca guns is what they are called in the United States, mostly. Um, because it's named after uh, Seneca Lake and Cayuga Lake, which is uh, in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. Okay. Where, okay. where this sound is known to occur. Um, but they're also found off on the Carolina coast, um, northern Georgia, and Cedar Key in Florida, possibly other places. Who knows? How to tell that you're a transplant without yeah. saying you're a transplant. Continue. Right. Um, what is it? Well... The Seneca guns is a loud booming noise coming from the sky at a time when there is no thunder nearby nor any other seemingly plausible explanation for such a sound. Um, Interesting. Yes. 
So usually it seems to occur near a large body of water, sometimes the ocean, sometimes a lake or a river. And uh-huh. observers say it sounds nearly identical to cannon fire, hence the guns part of the name, or to distant right. thunder. Um, okay. Sometimes it's wrong, strong enough to rattle windows and like shake knickknacks. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. All right. But All not right. really, not really to cause damage to buildings. So okay. it turns out this phenomenon is not confined to the United States, uh, but it's heard in various places throughout the world, including uh, the Bay of Fundy in Atlantic Canada, Ooh, Italy. Yeah, it's a cool place. Italy. The Netherlands, Bangladesh, Indonesia, Australia, many other places. Uh, each of these countries has their own name for the phenomenon, or in the case of Italy, at least 12 different names, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That right. seems about right. Yeah. 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 That's fair. They all sort of sounded like bumba, um, bang, ding, dong, something like that. A lot, um, a lot of onomatopoeic yeah. uh, yes, names. Very. Uh, right. the, the general term apparently is a skyquake. Which uh, uh, also is the name of a Transformers character, according to my research. (laughs) I didn't know that off the top of my head, I'm just going to say. Well, you do now. I do now. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, we don't know what this is. Here is a partial list. I know. Partial list of explanations that have been put forth at one time or another. Uh, Earthquakes or eruptions. Sonic booms from supersonic jets. Okay. Meteorites exploding in the atmosphere. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Quarry blasts. Uh, And at. Doesn't work where you might have heard it. Right. Well, maybe. Okay. Atmospheric temperature inversions leading to sounds uh, traveling far from their origin. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah, hmm. and, you know, on the Wikipedia page, there were some others listed that I, there were not cited, and I couldn't really find reference to anywhere else, so I'm not going to mention those. Um, but one thing we know for sure is that supersonic jets are not the sole cause of this phenomenon, because it has been reported since at least the mid-19th century, possibly earlier. Right, I was about to be like... Yeah. Mm. Also, now it's, it's illegal to fly jets supersonic over the U.S., so... Oh. I didn't know that. You shouldn't be hearing it hmm. now at all, yeah. Well, huh. uh, yeah. Good to know. Just uh, apparently James Fenimore Cooper, who was the author of Last of the Mohicans, wrote a short story about the Seneca guns um, in 1850. So there's that data point. And uh, in addition, the U.S. Geological Survey has examined seismological data um, from the time, like when people report booms, say in North Carolina, okay. and then they look to see if any earthquakes have happened, and no. Huh. So At least in that has location. There been any like audio recordings to confirm, like, yep, we we heard one here at this time, or is that? Hmm. No. It's all it's all just sort of anecdotal. I my research didn't dig that deep. I I should have looked for an audio recording. I didn't. None of them came up, sort of. Sure. Sure. Um, in what I was looking at, um, I'm sure somebody must have recorded it at some point. By now, yeah. Yeah. Um, to be honest, the temperature inversion suggestion sounds the most promising to me. Uh, so the that idea the I thought was most and interesting the coolest it, one. Yeah, it was an actual plausible explanation that that wasn't just some guy was shooting off fireworks down the street. You know? Right. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, 
So the idea is that especially over a body of water, a layer of colder air can get trapped under a layer of warmer air. Uh Um, And then these air layers can amplify sound and send it traveling further than it normally would go. So in theory, like there could be a thunderstorm that would be like way over the horizon where you couldn't see it. Um, But because of the temperature inversion, the sound of the thunder or, I mean, who knows, a quarry blast or super sonic jet or whatever that's pretty far away could travel a long distance. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Most likely, you know, all of these explanations have been true at one time or location or another. I mean, certainly, you know, there have been mysterious booms in the past that have been shown to be supersonic gents once people figured out what it was. Um, Right. But in terms of, you know, the best that the the geologists and the atmospheric scientists come up with is that this, this is probably some kind of atmospheric phenomenon, not a geological phenomenon. Um, It seems to be somewhat associated with water. So, you know, the temperature inversion sounds... Plausible. plausible yes but we we still don't know we don't know ah cool. yeah i, I love I those mysteries we don't know. you still gotta ah. have some mystery in the world yeah i will say what, several one thing it reminded, it reminded me of though is if you get curious about like oh do they have any sounds whatever you do don't go on youtube and type in like mysterious sky sounds because you will get thousands of bogus videos like yeah for a 100%. while, at least, I don't know if it's still going on. There was a really popular, like, genre of YouTube videos that were like people like looking at the sky, and then they like add sounds mm. in later on and be like, "I heard this crazy sound out in the woods. What is this?" And it's like it's it's you learning how to use editing software is what it is. But like, people are, like <laughs> are gullible, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, there was like weird booms or strange noises coming from the the sky," and you're like, "Nope, nope, that's just." People messing around. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. Yep. Well, yep. There's a lot of, there's a lot of junk out there. Uh, my source, speaking of junk. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there was, there uh, were not, I couldn't <laughs> find any like crazy. scientific articles about this, but um, mm-hmm. my sources were an article from Coastal Review, which is a magazine um, by Carrie Pugh, 2020 article from Forbes magazine by David Brisson and Wikipedia. Awesome. Fascinating. And, you know, we're Thanks. getting closer and closer Victoria? to Halloween. A little bit Yay. spooky. We'll be all yeah. be bringing some spooky stuff to you for our special second annual Halloween episode coming up not too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. All right. Very I think exciting. that's it for this week. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.